How many excited to be here this morning? How many of you know what I'm going to talk about this morning? <laughs> it's easy for you. You, have, you can just listen. I had to put this whole thing together. So if you're a visitor here this morning, this is not normally what we would talk about in church on a Sunday. Um, but this morning is um, Porn Sunday. And uh, I have to be really careful about what language I use this morning. I was talking to Gina on Wednesday, and uh, we were just having a meeting, catching up on some things about summer camp and stuff, and I said to Gina, I've got, I got to bring this meeting to an end. I've got a couple of porn videos I've got to watch before the end of the day. But they were from an organization called Triple X Church, but she just looked at me, because we were in Mitre 10 at the time, and she just said, you need to be really careful about what language you use this Sunday. So um, I'm going to be super duper careful and stick to my notes as much as I possibly can. And you might be here this morning and you might be like, this is really, I feel really awkward that you're talking about pornography this morning. Um, but that's okay because nobody can see that you feel awkward and nobody feels more awkward than I feel. And so I want to be really sensitive to people this morning. But just to break the ice a little bit this morning, who has a porn problem? <laughs> I'm the only one that has a hand up. That's in trouble. You guys are the most pure people I've ever met in my life. And, uh, you know, um, this is a subject that I, I don't think I've ever heard. I've met in church my whole entire life. I'm 40, going to be 44 next month, and I've never heard anybody speak on this subject on a Sunday morning. Um, I was talking to one of the local pastors in a church in, in our community, and he said to me, mate, I think it's awesome that you're speaking on that on Sunday. Good luck. And uh, he goes, let me know how it goes. So let me, let me just say this morning that uh, this whole message this morning is not, if you leave or you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling shame or guilt or condemnation, then friend, that's, that's not Jesus. That's not God. God doesn't do that. You know, the only way to get rid of the dark is to expose it to the light. And I think that sometimes the church is too scared to touch on these subjects because we, we treat them like they're dirty little sins that we want to hide around the corner. But I think the best thing we can do is talk about them in church because my Bible says what's done in secret, if it doesn't get exposed, gets shouted from the rooftops. And I'm not sure about you, but I really don't want my stuff declared publicly. And so what I want to do is I want to help you and help me and help everyone here this morning to expose it to the light. Is that cool? Let me read you some statistics this morning about pornography before we get into it. And, um, and these are only some. There's, I mean, I had, I had 45 pages of research and information for me that I, that I combined to put together to come up with a message. The reality is I could probably speak on it for four weeks. And Pastor Mark Tobias, who's in Wellington, told me I should do a series called Porn Vember. Um, he encouraged, but how many people here says it's awkward enough one Sunday, let alone four Sundays in a row? And so we're not going to do that, but we are going to try and hit as much as we can in one Sunday. So let me read you some statistics, because these, these are not to frighten you, it's just to make you aware. Uh, first one is this, 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to pornography before the age of 18 years of age. So you can turn around and go, it's not a problem in my house. If you have a boy... You're stupid if you think that it's not a problem in your house. He will be exposed to it 93% chance before the age of 18. This is not something that we can ignore. Next one is 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. 34% of all internet users have been exposed to unwanted porn via ads or pop-ups. So that's not even looking for it. They just get exposed to it. Come on, this is a problem in our community. Porn has a global industry of $97 billion a year. That's, that's more than our GDP of our country. It's just insane. Every second, 28,258 internet users are viewing pornography. Every second, $3,075.64 is spent on pornography. There are over 260 million pornographic websites on the internet. Here's a scary thought. 29% of Christian adults feel it's acceptable to view porn. 
47% of families said that online pornography is a problem in their home, and 56% of divorces is due to pornography. So if we take those statistics and we understand that one in every two marriages, they say now, end in divorce, that means one in four end in divorce because of pornography. Just by dealing with pornography, we increase the chances of marriages by 50-something percent. Come on, this is not something that we can ignore. It's not something that we can pretend doesn't exist. The fastest growing industry in the world today is child pornography, which is now $3 billion a year. And in America alone, 455,000 people last year were arrested for having child pornography on their computers. It's a serious issue, yes? And it's a serious issue that we need to deal with. And, and some people might think there's been some crazy... We've had, on our advertising on Facebook of Porn Sunday, we've had close to 1,800 people view it. And we've had some really interesting replies. <laughs> that I've had to delete for obvious reasons. Somebody put on there this morning, Porn Sunday, my favorite Sunday. <laughs> because people don't think that it is dangerous. People don't think that it's a bad thing. You know, I, I, I was reading this week about the Eskimos and, and the way that the Eskimos used to kill wolves. Who wants to know how the Eskimos kill wolves? It's really interesting. What they'll do is they would get a sharp, double-edged, razor-sharp knife and they would coat it in either squirrel blood or rabbit's blood or something like that, and then they would freeze it, right? And once it's frozen, they'll then coat it with another lot of blood, freeze it again, and then they'll put it out overnight in the ground, and what would happen is the wolf would come along, and because it's like a blood popsicle, it would start to lick the blade, but because there was two coats of blood that was frozen, the, the tongue would become numb. Yeah? So it's melting and he's getting a taste of blood, but the tongue's become numb. And then slowly but surely, he's now cutting his tongue because the tongue's numb, it can't feel it. And now he's tasting warm blood, which excites him all the more. So the wolf is like <laughs> licking it like crazy, not realizing that he's now shredded his tongue to pieces. And within a two-hour period, the wolf has bled to death. Now, you're sitting here this morning. I know we shouldn't have come to church this morning because that's just nasty. But you know what the thing is? That's a really good picture of what pornography does to us. Pornography numbs you, then it excites you, and before you know it, it's left you seriously wounding, bleeding, potentially leading even to death. And some of you are like, man, that's a little bit dramatic. That's a bit dramatic this morning, Craig. Is it really? Listen to what it says in James 1, 13 to 15. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, in his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Everybody say enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, the word Entice there in the Greek means to hook. So what it's really saying is that what happens is a hook gets into you, and once that hook gets into you, it leads you onto a path of death. And so pornography is a hook. It hooks into you. It, it, the first thing that it does is, is the hook happens this way. The first thing that happens is you get exposed to sexual impurity. So every single person on the face of this planet, unless they live on an island with no internet all by themselves, at some stage is exposed to sexual impurity. Whether it be the TV, movies, magazines, internet, whatever it is, you will be exposed to it. It's, it's virtually impossible for you not to be exposed to it. You, you might find a, a stash of magazines, click on the wrong button, when I was nine years of age, the way that I was exposed to it is me and my friend found his dad's stash of Playboys under the bed. And I was exposed to it straight away. I'm just going to try and be as honest as I can with you this morning. And so you get exposed to it, but the next thing that happens is you then get what they call a mental, you sustain a mental injury. And a mental injury is a little bit like a, it's like a computer virus that gets into a computer 
It damages the brains of the computer and the computer is corrupted and it just doesn't function properly anymore. And this is what happens when you look at pornography. You sustain a brain injury. I'll prove this to you scientifically shortly. So the first thing is you get exposed to it. The next thing is you sustain an injury and then all of a sudden you become sexually confused. You become confused because you enjoy looking at it, but you know you shouldn't. There was this rush, it's like a hit, it's like a drug, and, and you're confused because there was a thrill, but at the same time there was this guilt and the shame about it, this feeling of it being wrong. At the same time you still want to look at it, but knowing that you shouldn't look at it, the Apostle Paul, I think, puts it brilliantly this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, 18 to 25. It's not up on the screen, but, but he basically says this, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. Hello? Is anybody with me this morning? Who can save me from this, he says. Basically, he says, I've tried. And I try to do the things I should do, but I don't. And then I try not to do the things I don't want to do, but I do. Who can save me from this? And this conclusion is Jesus. Which is awesome, because otherwise we'd be stuffed. And so this confusion takes place in us where we have these seasons of, this is bad, I shouldn't be doing this. But then there's these seasons of justification that happens, where we start saying things like, better I do this than I do something else. Or it's my wife's fault, you know, I have needs. It's gone really quiet now. <laughs> and there's this justification for what we've done in seasons, and then there's this feeling guilty about it in seasons, and so there's this confusion, there's this tension, there's a rush, but there's also the shame. And so you have exposure, you sustain an injury, then you become confused, and then the fourth thing is, is you experience periods of sexual sobriety followed by sexual binges. What does that mean? Well, you have sober periods. It's like an alcoholic can be sober at times, and then they have binges. And so what happens is you may go a week without looking at it, maybe even a month, maybe six months. You may be going really, really well, and then one day, one day, you mess up, and then it's just all in. I know from my experience, because I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, to put you at ease, from the ages of 16 to 18 years of age, I had a major pornography problem. I was looking at it daily, daily, for two years, all the time. I had a major problem with it. And this is what would happen to me as I started to deal with it and come out of it with the help of my youth pastor and other people that got around me, is I could go a month, two months, six months, and then all of a sudden, I'd come under an amount of stress, or I'd be tired, or you know, your defenses start to drop down, and then all of a sudden, it just one click, and then it was just binge show. You know, I'll just look at one, and four hours later, you're still going. And this is what happens, and then you, then you pull yourself back together again, and you sort it out, and, you, and, and then you might go, and, and so you have these, these ebbs and these lows, where you just, it's like a roller coaster ride that you start going through. And, and, um, and if you're single when it happens, you think, man, if, when I get married... This will all take care of itself. It'll solve my problem. But then one day you get married and it doesn't solve the problem because what you think is that you have a problem with your sexual passion when the truth is you actually have an injury. You have a brain injury and you keep on re-injuring it and it's not healing and that's why you keep on going back to it. You probably never thought of it as a brain injury. But it actually is, and scientifically proven down the back of the church today, and on a table there when you leave, there's a whole lot of scientific proof there of what pornography does to the brain and does to you. But let me just share with you a little bit how pornography actually injures your brain. Scientists have proven that when you look at pornography, what happens is it causes a surge of a chemical called dopamine. Okay? And dopamine is the same chemical that gets released uh, when you have sex, right? Preferably, well, not preferably, should be between a husband and wife. And so it's the same 
thing that gets released. The problem with, with, with that is, is that usually in a marriage when that happens, it's, 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 um, I'm trying to be sensitive this morning, but it's not like you're binging on it for six hours. Yes? They say on average it's two to three times a week. So what happens is this, because you keep looking at it, there's an overdose of dopamine in your brain, and the receptors in your brain, your pleasure receptors in your brain, the same receptors that operate when you eat food, you know when you eat food and you're like, oh man, that's so good, that's receptors in your brain saying, that was awesome. And the receptors in your brain say, have some more food, and then you end up like this. The problem is, is when you get an overdose of dopamine around sexual things, what the brain does is, whoa, there's way too much of this chemical in my system, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to shut down some of the receptors, otherwise we're going to have an overload and burn our brain out, and so it shuts down the pleasure receptors, yes? So now all of a sudden, normal sex is not pleasurable anymore because the release of dopamine isn't good enough because half your receptors have shut down. Hence why child pornography is growing, because to get another hit that feels the same as the previous hit, you've got to go to another level. Just like with drugs, you start out with marijuana, and before you know it, it's heroin, morphine, pee, because the receptors start to shut down because there's too much of the dopamine in the brain and so to get the same feeling requires a bigger hit. And so in marriage, what happens is marriage, the marriage bed just is not exciting because your receptors have shut down and you need something more, come on, to get the same feeling and then you get into all sorts of weird and wacky stuff to get that hit. So it actually damages the brain. The other thing that the scientists found is that regularly watching porn actually causes the brain to shrink. I don't know about you, but I don't need mine to shrink any more than what it already is. Experts have found, uh, the scientists have found that the stereotum area of the brain, which is the part of your brain that's linked with motivation and reward response. So it's a part of your brain that motivates you, you know, and and, and, and receives reward, you know, that part of your brain that, woohoo, you know, some of you that like doing DIY and you do a DIY project and you feel this massive like, wow, that was awesome moment, um, you know, because you want to spend your whole day on Saturday doing DIY when you could actually just be cruising around having a good time and pay someone else to do it. Um, and you have this big pleasure moment because you've done this amazing DIY project. It's, it's, it's that part of your brain and what scientists have proven is as you watch pornography regularly, that the, that part of your brain shrinks. So its ability to be motivated and receive reward is actually damaged. Okay? So this is, forget the Bible, this is science. Science has proven that watching pornography causes brain injuries. And it shrinks your brain. It's incredible, isn't it? And it destroys your sex life in your marriage. Proverbs 28, verse 13. You're looking at me so like, if you could see your faces right now. I should film you and have you, no, just. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. And this is why Pornography is so dangerous because it's one of them secret little sins that we don't want people to know about. But it says this, it says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy. He who conceals doesn't prosper, but he who confesses and exposes finds mercy. I don't know about you, but when I was 18 years of age, I really needed mercy. 
And so I got to the place where I could talk to someone about it that I trusted. So the first thing, if you have a problem in this area, the first thing you've got to do is, is you've got to confess to God. You've got to confess to Him. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God shows us that He is faithful. And just by forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things that we have done. And so God promises that if you confess to him, just to him, that he will forgive you. He'll purify you of all the bad things that you have done. And it's just a cool thing that God does for us just by confessing to him. But can I, can I suggest something to you? You know, sometimes my, my children fight at home. I, I know yours don't, but sometimes mine do. And, you know, and they might say something nasty. And what do you do as a parent? You say, apologize to them. Yes? And how do they apologize? Sorry. And what do you say? Say it with meaning. Sorry. Yeah, how many people know they're not sorry? They're just saying sorry to get mum and dad to shut up so they can get on with their lives. When it talks about confession here, it's not sorry. It's actually, God, I am really sorry. I'm really, really sorry about this. In fact, the Bible says to repent of your sin. This is really cool. The Hebrews put it this way. It's, it's to turn your back on it so that it doesn't exist. It's like it doesn't exist anymore. You're not looking at it. But the cool thing about the Hebrew word, it means and to turn and face God. I, I think where we've got it wrong in the church is that we tell people to repent and they think they've got to turn their back on their sin, which they do, but we don't teach them to then face Him. Because the Bible says that when we confess, there's mercy. And so when we face Him, it's the mercy, it's the love, it's the grace, it's the kindness, it's the goodness. And so what we do is we teach people to turn their back, but we don't teach them to find their way to the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the kindness. And so they, they do this, walking along, stumbling along without, but to confess, to ask God for forgiveness means, yes, to turn your back on sin, but it means to look to his face. It means to run into his arms. And, and, and if you don't know God as that, if you think that God is a God that judges you, you just have to read the story of the prodigal son who turned his back on a wayward life. And when he came back to face the father, the father didn't wait for him to come. The father ran to him and restored him straight back to where he was before he left because that's what repentance is. It's not just a turning the back on what you've done, but it's an understanding that as I face Father, I come back to all the things that he created me to be. And so it's not a bad thing looking into his face. It's a great thing. You know, when I was younger, I was about six years of age, and I lived in Tarong, and there's a street called Sherwood Hill. And it was one of them really, you know, started off a little bit and then it got steeper and steeper and steeper with a really cool corner down the bottom. And I loved riding, I had a chopper. Anybody had a chopper? You know, the three-speed, they don't make bikes like that anymore, you know? And I had the flag on it, you know, and the flick, 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 flick on the wheels. You know, it's like choppers were the best. Before I had the chopper, I had a tomahawk, which was like the miniature version of it. Remember those? Three-speed lever shift in the middle. And my dad, I'd seen guys go down that hill, go down Sherwood Hill on the bike, and it just looked cool because they go down real fast and lean into the corner. And I remember my dad saying to me, don't you go down Sherwood Hill. But how many people know when you've got mates like you've got that are encouraging you to give it a go, you can't turn around and say, my daddy said I'm not allowed. So I knew I could ride a bike. So I went down Sherwood Hill. And you know, the first third of that hill, I was just like, you know, the wind was blowing in the hair. It was like waving all the girls as I went past. The first third was awesome. The second third started going like this. The third third, I can't remember because I came off my bike, slid across the road and smacked my head on the, on the curb because we didn't have helmets back then because we were real men. <laughs> Knocked me out. And the next thing I remember is my dad standing over me 
My legs are all shredded up, and I'm like, and he, and he looks at me, typical dad, eh? I told you not to ride down the hill. <laughs> I could have been dying. So he whisks me out, takes me into the hospital. They clean up all my wounds, and I had a wound on my head. And uh, the doctor said, you've obviously been concussed. So here's some things that you need to do to protect your brain injury until it's healed. And I want to give you some things this morning, practical things that you can do if you've been exposed to pornography or that you can help someone else who has been that can protect your brain injury long enough that God can heal it. Are you with me this morning? First thing is, is you need to bounce your eyes. Because the thing is about brain injuries, the doctor said is if you don't protect it, it'll get infected and you'll be even worse off. And so here's the thing, if we don't protect our brain from the injury that is pornography, it'll just get worse, it won't get any better. And so the first thing that you need to be able to do is bounce your eyes. What do I mean by that? Do you take him out of your head and walk down the road? No. It means that when you see something that you find interesting, let's just put it that way, that you bounce your eyes in another direction. Are you with me? Some people would say, there's no harm in looking, it's just window shopping. It's not like I'm purchasing. You know, I'm just checking out the menu. I'm not going to order it. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, is that in Matthew 5, 27, it says, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, God doesn't literally want you to cut your eyes out, just in case. But here's the thing, and I'm just speaking to the guys just for a minute here, because guys are visually stimulated, yes? Hello? All right. There's nothing wrong with, with going, wow, that's nice. But there's something wrong with going, wow, that's nice. Okay? That is wrong. All right? So when we say bounce our eyes, we go, she's nice. All right? Because this is a group of you guys you've all noticed anyway. So why don't you just break the ice by going, she's nice. Now let's look this way. All right? Now, I know that can be a problem sometimes, but you have to teach yourself. You have to get some self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, and teach yourself to bounce your eyes. It's not natural for us to do that because it's wired within our brains for us to admire things of beauty, but, and our eyes tend to drift towards pleasing things, but over time, with some self-discipline and the help of God, you can train your eyes to bounce. And it becomes second nature that you just, you just look away. It says this in Job 31 verse 1, it says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And can I just say, there's a difference between looking at a girl and saying she's beautiful or looking at a girl lustfully. There's a big, big difference. You know, there's a big difference between looking at a guy and going, he's hot, or looking at a guy going, <laughs> he's hot. Yeah? Or when I've been in movie theaters, you know, when I think it was one movie, what's that guy on abduction? Lautner, is it? Taylor Lautner. And I'm sitting there in the movie theater, and he takes his shirt off, and you hear all the women go, oh. <laughs> that is lustful looking. All right? And every married man knows that that's how their wife looks at them anyway. But we've got to protect our wound by bouncing our eyes. We don't want to re-injure ourselves. So we've got to bounce our eyes. Are you with me? Second thing is, or third thing, capture your sinful thoughts. Second Corinthians 10, 4 to 5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So let me just say something to you. At some stage, you're going to have a bad thought. Someone is going to walk by, and you're going to be like, ooh la la, or hubba hubba ding ding, look at the legs on that thing. All right? 
It's going to happen. But we've got to capture that thought. Or you may have a memory from your past of a situation pop into your mind. You've got to capture the thought. Or you may be alone with time on your hands and you start to fantasize about certain things and you're tempted to look at something that you shouldn't. And in that moment, you have to capture the thought because temptation is not a sin, acting on it is. And so in the temptation, the Bible says this, that God always creates a way out for us of temptation. And so we have to capture the thought before it turns into an action. So what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to capture a thought? Well, for me, what it means is I've got to stop what I'm doing and do something else. I've got to stop. If I'm sitting at my computer and I have that thought, I've got to get up from my computer and go do something else. I think it says that you have like three or four seconds. There's somebody here who will be able to tell me this, but you have basically three to four seconds to make that decision before you're going to fall into the trap. So it's got to be a really, really quick decision that you make. It's, um, you know, it may be you pick up the phone straight away and you ring someone that you're accountable, that you can trust, accountable to, and say, hey man, I've just had a thought, can you pray with me? I, I have that, uh, uh, relationship with my beautiful wife because I used to travel every second week and when you're traveling and you're alone in a hotel room it's not a good space to be if you have a brain injury and so I would ring her I'm having I'm having some thoughts and she'd just pray with me on the phone she was incredible we're going to talk about how you need to respond as a wife in a little bit I'm trying to get through this as fast as I can but I don't want to also just like skip through it and not help you and so, you know, you, you, you've got to pick up the phone and ring. So maybe you've got to get up and go for a walk. Go around the block. You know, get, get out of where you are. Unplug the TV. You know, get up, go for a walk. Whatever it is that you need to do, you've got to stop what you're doing and replace it with something else. Philippians 4, 8 says, think on these things, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so we've got to capture the sinful thoughts by breaking whatever is going on, do something else, and then start thinking some really good stuff. Start replacing it with some really, really good thoughts. Down the back there on the table is some, some truth coaches, a whole list of things that you can say to yourself that is truth to help break the cycle of your thinking, to help break that thought process. And so what we do is we bounce our eyes, we capture our thoughts, and then we run for our lives. Proverbs 5.8 says this, Keep to the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Flee from sexual immorality, it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. You know that word flee means to escape. Basically the scripture is saying, run, forest, run. Run. Here's some practical things that you can do to run. First thing is destroy your stash. If you've got magazines and stuff like get rid of it. And I'm not just talking about the nudie ones. I'm talking about some of those stupid Cosmopolitan magazines and Dolly where they say, 47 ways to drive your man wild in bed. <laughs> Which is just a load of bull because it's just all fantasized rubbish. All right? you got to get rid of those. Get rid of those lingerie magazines that you've got. Like, whatever causes you to start down that track that you've got a stash of, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Movies that you've got that you know, get rid of it. Now, everyone's going to be different because everybody is created differently. The Bible says this, don't let your freedoms cause someone else to stumble. So what you're free in, I may not be free in, and what I'm free in, you may not be free in. So it's really up to you about what you feel and what you feel the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But if it causes you a problem and starts you down that track, get rid of the stash. Just get rid of it. Don't have it. Well, we, we, we do this in our Christian life. We, we see how close to the edge we can come before we fall off. I think we should live our lives, but how far away can we live from the edge so that when I have a bad day, I only get this close, not over. Are you with me? All right, the second thing is, is ensure some accountability. Make sure you find someone, a godly, trustworthy person that is not going to blab your stuff to everybody. 
and have that person and ring them every single time without fail. Ring them. Tell them, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. I just have this. Ring them. Text them. Do something. Because there's something powerful. See, the Bible says this. What is done is secret is shouted from the rooftops. Do you know that while something is private, it has power, but as soon as it's public, the power goes out of it? Now, I'm not saying that we tell everybody, but as soon as you tell somebody, my mum would say this when I was younger, a problem shared is a problem half. But I'm telling you, when you have a secret about something, can you share it with someone you can trust? The power of that secret goes. Because somebody else knows now. And if somebody asks you to be that person for them, make sure you contact them and say, hey, how are you going this week? But be honest. It's only as good as your honesty. But if they're honest, don't freak out on them either. Yes? Cool. Number three, protect your internet usage. In other words, you're like, oh, we don't really have a problem with that. My kids are really, really good. If your kid has one of these, you're fooled. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to our teenagers in regards to the internet. And so I'm going to get Pete to come. Pete has a business that helps in this area to keep your kids safe on the internet at home and also on their mobiles. And he's just going to quickly share for five minutes. All his information is down the back as well. And he's just going to share about what, what some of the stuff that he's got and his thoughts. Five minutes. Um, and now a word from our sponsor. Let me just get my... Uh, it's, not, it's not really. Um, so there you go. There's my logo. So when you hit my website, you'll know you're in the right place. Um, so first of all, the most important thing to protect your kids online is obviously education. That's what Craig's been talking about so far this sermon. Um, everything else that I'm going to talk about comes second to this. Um, when Craig, I mean, yeah, when Craig's teaching Madison how to drive, um, Madison turned 16 and Craig just threw the keys and said, go for it, right? Is that what happened? Trinity laughed. No, that's not what happened. Um, he made her go out and get her learner's license first, most likely, I imagine. And then when she had her license, he threw her the keys and said, go for it, right? No, he sat her down and he walked her through all the dangers of it. But nowadays we get our kids a smartphone and we go, go for it. Um, so education is the first thing. Um, the second thing is supervision. Um, Supervision's great, but it's well, like with cell phones and stuff, you can't supervise them all the time. And who wants to look over your kid's shoulder when they're doing their silly little Snapchat things or whatever it is? Um, supervision's really hard, but there is supervision's the only thing that's going to protect your kids from um, Facebook stalkers or people bullying them and stuff like that. So you need to know what's going on in your kids' devices. Um, so on to the more technical stuff, um, ISP filtering, so a lot of ISPs and outlets like Vodafone and Spark and all that kind of stuff, they now offer filtering on their um, broadband plans. Um, it's usually just the one size fits all, so you get protected if you want to get to a site and they block it, you're out of luck, um, but that is an option. The next option you have is OpenDNS, um, and that's... Um, a big step up from ISP filtering. Um, it does have a few limitations in that it doesn't, oh, it's a bit tricky to set up for starters. Um, it doesn't filter your search results in Google. So um, if you search Google Images, you're going to get whatever images you wanted to search for. Um, but then if they tried to go to the site, um, then they'd get blocked. That's what um, OpenDNS provides. Um, fifth is routers. So there are some routers um, available that you can purchase that do filtering. Um, they're mostly not very good. Um, Netgear, um, I know, come with filtering options, but it's just OpenDNS, so you're still running into the same issue. And then we come to the good stuff. Um, so WebSafe, this is a product that I have put together. Um, it's these two parts of it, Pro and Family, uh, stuff, uh, uh, basically a router that you purchase and put in your house. It replaces your um, router at home. Um, but it's the best router I've found. It, it's really easy to use, um, and I set it up before I send it out to you, so it's already configured. Um, the difference between pro and family, 
if you can't read it there. Um, pro is just everybody gets the same filtering. Um, and family, there's three different levels. So if you've got kids that are young and teenagers, then you put your kids, you connect your kids to your, the kids' wireless, and you connect the teenagers to the teenagers' wireless, and they get different filtering. So kids can't get to Facebook and stuff like that because you're supposed to be 12 before you get on Facebook anyway. Um, and that's all well and good, but there's a few limitations even with my brilliant product. Um, and of course, everybody has cell phones, so what do you do with cellular data? Um, the easiest thing to do, of course, is to give your kids a plan that doesn't have any cellular data on it. Um, that means that they can't use Facebook or whatever when they're not connected to Wi-Fi. Um, if your kids take their devices to school and they connect them to the school Wi-Fi, that's fine, um, because I can guarantee you that skills are required by the ministry to have filtering, and they all do. Um, but if the kid goes to their friend's house and gets the Wi-Fi there, don't know. Um, so, yeah, um, X Church have a product out, um, which is, last time I looked at it, I haven't looked at it in a while, but last time I looked at the product, it was a little browser that you'd install on the phone, and the kid would have to use that browser to view the internet. Um, some devices you can lock out the other browsers, but then they've still got their Facebook app and all the other stuff that they can still use. And if you didn't know, there's a whole lot of um, really terrible rubbish on Facebook. Um, and if your kid wanted to, they could they could easily use a different app. So Triple X is not a great solution either. So um, we need something better, and that's what I'm working on. I wish I had the product ready for you, but I don't. Um, so WebSafe Mobile. Um, the goals that I have for it, uh, um, so a system that protects kids whether they're on Wi-Fi or cellular, um, it prevents them from turning the protection off, um, it doesn't slow down the device um, or the connection, it works on all devices and all apps, um, and yeah, and I want to do it as cheap as possible. Um, I've got a product that I've got in mind, and so if anyone's interested in helping me out, so I need some people for testers, um, and I also need some people for, well, if you want to register to um, find out about it when I actually get this product released, then there's a little thing you can sign down the back. So if you could do that, that would help me out. But those are, yeah, that's the info on what you can do to protect your kids online. We've got the, uh, the pro one here at the church. So I actually had to go home and work from home on Thursday because I was trying to search some stuff for my for my message, and it kept on blocking me out. <laughs> it's like, oh, so to go home. Uh, but what do I say? Destroy your stash, ensure accountability, protect your internet use, and then avoid all dangerous places. Obviously, strip clubs, not a good option. But if you have a problem at the gym, don't go to the gym. You know? <laughs> not... Not that you have a problem with exercise, you have a problem with the visual aspect of the gymnasium, then go go to the gym. If there's a you know, Pacific career driver that comes into your work and you make sure that you're there when he delivers every time, don't be there when he delivers every time. You know what I'm saying? Like Avoid them. Get away from them. Avoid the dangerous places. So get rid of our stash. Have some accountability. Make sure your internet's safe. Avoid the dangerous places. Why? Because we're trying to protect the injury so that it has long enough to heal. Uh, because it takes time. We, it's probably a little bit radical. It's a little bit crazy protecting the wound. But if we don't protect it, then it can't be healed. How many parents here get frustrated with your kids? They're like, stop picking at that. You know, they start picking at a wound and it just gets worse, yes? And so what we're doing here is we want to put some things in place in our lives bouncing our eyes, having some accountability, all that sort of stuff, so that we can protect the wound long enough so that it heals. And as you protect the wound from further injury, God will heal your mind. Why? Because he promises to in Romans 12, 2, where he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's it's like if you can... Get away from all that stuff, the conforming to the world, the, to protect yourself long enough, then God can come in and he can transform, he can heal your mind 
from that injury. You can heal it from the injury. How are you transformed? By the, you're transformed by the healing of your mind. There's no other way that transformation takes place other than God heals your mind by changing your mind. Hence why we've got the truth coaches and stuff down the back to help you. You're not changed by conforming in your own strength. Can I just say that this morning? Because one of the biggest battles I had when I was coming out of this is I thought I could tough my way through it. I couldn't do it without Jesus. And I couldn't do it without others helping me. Uh, because my strength is limited and it only runs out and it can run out. And so you, you only really change as God gets in there and starts to transform what's going on. You, you can conform in your own strength for a while, uh, but your strength will give out. And your strength give out, what's going to happen? You're going to go exactly back to where you were and you're going to re-injure your brain again and you're back to square one. You cannot overcome this stuff without the power of God operating in your life. You can't overcome this stuff without other people helping you. Because remember, he hooks you in. It hooks you in. And you've got to have people to help you. So what do we do? Well, we know we've got to confess to God. So we confess to God for forgiveness, but the Bible teaches us that we forgets, we confess to others for healing. So the Bible says this, confess your sins to one another so that you may be, so they can pray for you and you may be healed. Now, obviously, be really, really careful who you pick to do that confessing with. And can I just say, um, I'm probably not the right person for you because if all of you want me to be that person, I can't do that. It's impossible. Okay, I cannot... <laughs> I was sitting in the office and be beep, 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 beep. beep. No, no, I'm just joking. I can't do that. So you've got to find a connect group leader or find someone that you can trust that can be that person for you. Because we, as I said, we confess to God for forgiveness, but the Bible teaches that we can forget, we confess to others for healing. And that's the way that God has designed it. Whether you like it or not, it's the only way that works. You cannot heal yourself. And the other thing that you need to understand is the healing of your injury is not going to be instant. doesn't mean that God can't do an instant thing, but in my experience, it takes time. It takes time with injuries of the mind. So you protect your mind so that God can transform it. That word transform is where we get the word metamorphosis from. And which means a complete change, a metamorphosis into something else. But they can only happen while we're protecting our mind, our brain from further injury. So we know we need to confess to God. We know we need to confess to someone um, because you can't do it in your own strength. If you could do it in your own strength, we would have done it already, yes? Come on. If we could do it in our own strength, we would have done it already. Now, let me finish on this this morning, because I don't want you to leave condemned. This is not about feeling guilty or shame or condemnation. I, I, want, I want to just put a little different spin on this as I finish, because some of you guys, husbands, you actually need to talk to your wife about this. If you're struggling with it, you need to talk to her. Hardest thing I ever did was tell her I was struggling with it. Hardest thing I ever did. But can I just say something? We react badly sometimes when people confess to us, yes? Hello? And we react badly because we take it personally and your instant response is, what's wrong with me? Am I not attractive? Am I fat? Does he not find me interesting anymore? Am I not satisfying him? You've got to stop thinking like that because it's not about that. You've got to come at it from the point of view we understand this is a brain injury. It's not about you. And it's not about your marriage. It's, it's a brain injury that's occurred in this person's life whenever it was. For me, it was nine years of age when the brain injury occurred from being exposed to it. And so you've got to look at it from that perspective because otherwise, if you look at it from the perspective that there's something wrong with me, the flip side to that is you look at it from the pers perspective of what a pervert. And you know what? If you respond like that, he ain't going to tell you anything. He, he won't tell you a thing. And vice versa, parents, when it comes to your children, if there's kids here that are struggling with this, 
they need to know that if they come and talk to you, you're not going to flip out on them. Come on. I would rather my kid came and told me that they had a problem and, and even though on the inside I might be going, ah! on the outside I go, thank you so much you came and told me. I'm going to help you. We're going to do everything we can to get you through this. You, you don't, I don't want you to feel guilty or shame or condemn because Jesus is not about that. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He's here to bring you free and we're going to get you free from this because, you know, because I love you and I'm for you, I'm not against you. If you flip out on them, they're not going to tell you a thing. Then or forever for the rest of their lives. And you know what? When something is concealed, it multiplies and it becomes a bigger problem. Ted Bundy, one of the biggest uh, serial killers that ever walked the face of this planet, was interviewed by Dr. James Dobson while he was in prison. Why they were testing the electric chair and the lights were dimming and coming bright again. And he said this, he said, my whole pathway, my whole thing of raping and killing prostitutes started with pornography. But I had no one that I could talk to about it. Now, I'm not saying that you have a serial killer in your house, but I'm just trying to say this. If you react badly, you're just going to allow it to fester, and you don't know where that's going to end up. So please don't see it as a personal thing, but just treat it like you would treat an injury. When they come to you and they're falling off their bike and grazing, treat it the same way. Don't, don't do what my dad did and say, you shouldn't have run down Sherwood Hill. Don't do that. That's not helpful. All right? It's like, this is an injury. I know what to do. I can help you get healing with this. Yes? All right. Don't personalize it, because honestly, it's actually not about you. What you have got is someone who's confessing to you that they've been injured, and the very fact that they're confessing is great. It's a great indicator that they're ready to be healed. And you need to see it as that. And earlier today, I asked, tongue-in-cheek, anybody have a pornography problem? <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, I asked, because I knew no one would put up their hand. And the reason why we don't put up our hand is because we associate shame and guilt with it. And what I want you to know is if you're dealing with this and you feel shame and guilt because of what is going on, I want you to change your perspective on it. I want you to see it as what it is, that somewhere along the way in your life, you got injured. You're not an evil person. You're not a bad person. You're an injured person. Come on. You're an injured person. You got an injury, and you're going to need time to heal, and there's going to be some things like when you're sick and you go to the doctor and take these antibiotics for so many days and do this and do this. He gives you instructions so that you can be healed. You are not dirty. You are not horrible. You are not some horrible person. You are an injured person who needs to follow some footsteps, hopefully some of the stuff that I shared this morning, that will allow you to recover from your injury. All right? I got injured when I was nine years of age and it led to sexual sin, and it led to more pornography. And you know what? Then I became a Christian. And guess what? I still had the injury. And then I got married. And guess what? I still had the injury. And then I became a pastor. And guess what? I still had the injury. And I was still vulnerable. And it's only been because year after year, and year after year, and year after year, and year after year, I've worked hard at bouncing my eyes. I've worked hard at capturing my thoughts. I've made sure I've got accountability in place. I have filtering on my computer, and we have filtering on the... Why do I have filtering on... Because I'm worried I'm going to go there? No, it's brilliant. Because the minute the thought comes into my head, it's like, nah, can't go there, Trinity will find out. It's really, really easy. As quick as the thought comes, as quick as the thought goes. But year after year, I worked at protecting 
the womb while God renewed my mind. And now my mind is in a state of purity that I didn't even know was possible. Now, can I say this? It's not completely invulnerable to sin. My wife is a genius. She says to me on Monday, you need to be careful this week. What? You're preaching on pornography on Sunday. I guarantee you this week that thoughts, that opportunities will come across your brain because the enemy will just want to destroy the whole thing. And genius as she is, yes it did, but genius as I am, I already had filtering in place, so... (laughs) We'll always be vulnerable to injury, but God can heal your current injury, and with him you can put some things in place to protect your injury, but it all starts with a confession. It all starts with a confession because the Bible says that he who covers sin doesn't prosper, but he who confesses it and renounces it finds mercy. And I just love every single person in this place. Can you just close your eyes and bow your heads? I really, please don't look around. Please do not look around today. Can I just get Cullum on the keys for now? That'd be really, really awesome. Please don't look around. I don't want to embarrass anyone. And as I prayed about this this morning, I was like, do I even do this? Do I even ask people to put up their hands? Because, you know, I I just don't want you to be embarrassed. I want you to know something about me. I'll see your hand and I won't even remember by this afternoon who put their hand up because I have a brain injury. (laughs) And it's not from pornography. It's just because I'm just forgetful. But, I think that there's something powerful when we do a physical response. There's just something that happens when God sees that hand and goes, you know what? I'm there. Let me bring that mercy in and let me bring that thing towards you. Let me face you and let the goodness and the grace and the mercy start to flood into your situation. It's not the fix. Just putting up your hand and me praying for you this morning, it's not the fix. It's just the start. But I want to tell you, it's a great start. And so while nobody's looking around this morning, we're just going to do this really, really quick. I'm going to count to three. And if you want me to pray with you, that God would help you in this area of your life, that God would come. And you're putting up your hand as your way of saying, God, I confess that I have this. Then while no one's looking, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. I'm going to count to three. And I want you to put it up and pull it straight down, straight away. That's like just up, down, real quick. Because I don't want to embarrass anybody. So while no one's looking, on the count of three, Let's do that. One, you know, God really wants to help you. He's not against you. Two, he is here for you. It's his whole reason why he exists is to bring freedom. Three, just quickly, up and down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, 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 awesome. 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 Why don't you all stand to your feet this morning? Just keep your eyes closed. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask everybody in this place to pray after me so we don't embarrass anybody. I just think we're in a really sacred moment right now, a really vulnerable moment for people. And and I need you to understand that God is not angry with you, that God is not upset with you, that God, when God looks at you, God sees an injury, and all he wants to do is heal it. All he wants to do is heal it. And and you need to know that in this church, in CFC, this is a safe place for you. And if you talk to someone and it's not safe for you, then you come and tell me. Because we won't have that in this place. If we face Father and we get grace and mercy, then when you confess to somebody, you should get grace and mercy. And if you don't get that, you come and tell me, and I'll... Help them with another scripture that says, blows from a friend cleanses away evil. And we'll help cleanse away their self-righteousness. But I want you to pray this prayer with me, everybody in this place. Are we ready? Can we do that this morning? Can we help those that are struggling this morning? Can we help those that are struggling this morning? Thank you. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me for the sin of pornography and sexual immorality 
I recognize that I have injured my brain. I pray that you would help me to put protections in place. And while they were in place, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come by your power and heal my injury. Set me free from the shame, from the guilt, and from the condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I really believe that if you pray that prayer with all of your heart today and you're struggling with this stuff, I really believe that God has seen that and he's like, you know what? Here I come, baby. Here comes grace. Here comes mercy. Here comes your healing. What you're going to do is you're just going to put some of those protection mechanisms in place. And, and I just want to say, as the rest of the musicians and singers come, I just want to say thank you so much for being here this morning.